Welcome to Airwaves, the official podcast of the Naval Air Systems Command. I'm your host, Michael Lauren Prue. NAVAIR transitioned to a new organizational construct. The mission-aligned organization puts people and resources closer to the point of execution to deliver capability faster, improve readiness, and provide innovative technical solutions to the fleet. The mission-aligned organization is yielding results in many areas across the command, including the Airworthiness Office. Here to tell us more is Ms. Sue DeGuzman, Acting Director of the Engineering and Cyber Warfare Group, and Ms. Kristen Swift, Acting Director of the Airworthiness and CyberSafe Office. Sue, Kristen, thank you both for joining us. So Sue, I'd like to begin with the role of the Airworthiness Office. What is it that you do, and how do you contribute to the mission? Airworthiness is an evaluation of aircraft for safety. And what we do is we have a process where we get engineering reviews to make sure that the aircraft design, a given configuration, is safe for flight. With that, we use the engineers that are here on the base to do technical reviews. And then we issue the airworthiness approvals for the aircraft to fly. So we work with our engineers across NAVAIR, across the NOCs, the FRCs, um, to provide independent assessments of these air vehicles and air systems. And ultimately, our office is responsible to release what we call airworthiness products in the form of interim flight clearances and the flight manuals, the NATOPS and the NATIP, that provide those warfighters with their operating limitations, systems descriptions, normal and emergency procedures that allow them to operate safely and effectively while accomplishing their mission. So it sounds like there's a lot that goes into ensuring an aircraft is safe for flight. Kristen, how has the mission-aligned organization helped to streamline that process? A major shift within the alignment to the mission-aligned organization was obviously a focus on the mission. I think that's really helpful within the airworthiness process because it takes the stakeholders who have disparate um, perspectives across the technical domains, uh, maybe across the test community, across the acquisition community, and really focuses us on what we're trying to get to the fleet. We're trying to get a capability to the fleet. And I think driving towards that common goal helps us maybe set aside technical differences and look for technical solutions that may not have been immediately obvious. So I think that focus on mission has been really important. Another important thing within the mission-aligned organization development process was the revision of our tech authority policy. And the the new tech authority policy more explicitly covers down on roles and responsibilities of those stakeholders within the organization. So there's emphasis on the technical authority line, if you will, and how that flows from down through the command to technical warrant holders and to ultimately subject matter experts who are executing the tech authority on a day-to-day basis to perform technical assessments. But it also talks about tech decision authorities and the differentiation between those two roles and responsibilities. So the folks executing technical authority, they're really foundational to the whole thing. They are providing the technical solutions and alternatives from their particular technical domains that then inform the tech decision authorities, your class desk, your chief engineers, who can then take all of those recommendations and make informed decisions of getting those capabilities out to the fleet. So in addition to better defining roles and responsibilities, there also appears to be a greater emphasis on collaboration between technical experts. 
So why is that collaboration so important to the airworthiness process? One of the things that's very difficult in the airworthiness process is that I mentioned we have technical experts that review aircraft designs. We do this to define aviation standards, and that is a critical part of the process. But as we develop technologies, we're often in the, the DOD operating outside of defined standards. And there has been, over the last 20 years that, I, that I've worked in airworthiness, there has been times when there was confusion of the roles of I guess I'd say, who's, who makes the final decision? Who gets to say if a standard isn't met or maybe there isn't a standard for something, how do we evaluate a new system? With MAO, there was more clarity put forward. And with this tech authority policy, a bit more clarity of how those decisions are made and how collaboration is brought together to make sure that uh, the subject matter experts and engineers who are doing the technical reviews and using standards that they may be developing for a new technology versus the flight test engineers who are involved and the program offices, how that collaboration is brought together towards a common goal and the common mission of getting the aircraft, uh, the capability that's needed to the warfighter with the new technology or whatever we're developing. With MAO, they're really, and with this tech authority policy, there's really just better definition of the way that collaboration is put together in the organization and the roles and the authorities of different parts of the organization. You know, we've got to be able to field capabilities that can keep us ahead of our adversaries. And that sometimes puts us on the cutting edge of new technologies. And we don't always have specs and standards. So when we have the case where we aren't aligned to a spec and standard, we're not compliant, if you will, we have to be able to take a step back and say, okay, but what are the implications of those non-compliances? Previously, there was some feeling that if a competency said, no, that's not compliant to our specs and standards, there was a bit of a stop sign or at least a speed bump there. The mission-aligned organization and the technical policy implemented within it, the technical authority policy, really emphasizes the need to look at implications. You know, why does this matter for my configuration, mission, role, environment? What are alternate technical strategies we could employ? And I think it really empowers those subject matter experts to look outside the box and say, okay, this isn't to my technical standard, and these are the implications of that. But here are some ideas. You know, maybe we can still execute the mission. Not So I'm not saying yes to what you've asked because the physics say, not nah, so good. But these are the alternate technical solutions we can bring to the table, and you can have that conversation. The mission-aligned organization and the tech authority policy under it facilitates and even promotes that kind of conversation. Kristen, you mentioned outpacing our adversaries. How has the mission-aligned organization and the tech authority policy enabled you to deliver with urgency and go faster? I think having that connection to the outcome is really important. You know, if you focus on, I'm looking at this specific subsystem against these specific criteria, you can maybe lose that sometimes. And I think having the understanding and, and emphasizing those conversations on the importance of the outcomes, it ties us directly to our fleet and allows us to see the imperative of this is why it's important to get this capability out. You know, and we can't afford to do all of these things at once that gives you all of the data. So what can we do with the data we, that we have? Is the gap of understanding too large? Do we need to do more? And do we need to do it now? And to 
again, it's that collaboration, having those conversations to look at big picture, even if you're only responsible for one little chunk of it, but across all the stakeholders, having that collaborative conversation to try and really focus on outcomes and getting those capabilities out to our fleet. So two of the key tenets of the mission-aligned organization are empowerment and delegation. Sue, would you say that the tech authority empowers the SMEs to be decision makers? For sure. So, and, and it is funny that you say that as decision makers, because that is part of the policy is who are decision makers. So yes, I feel that it most definitely empowers not just the SMEs, but, but everybody in the process. Everybody has a critical role, and that's what the Tech Authority policy does, is it makes sure that, that everybody in the process understands their role, is empowered to do their role, and understands how to collaborate that with other people. So where before there was maybe a mindset that, that my job as a SME, as a subject matter expert, was to kind of stay inside the box of, did this meet my standards, didn't it? And some people felt that way. Uh, there were many who, who thought outside the box of that as well, but the, a box of, I'm gonna review to standards. Now it's really more of opening the box up to say, we understand it didn't meet standards, However, here are the ways we can mitigate risks. Here are the options. Here's the way we, we can work around that to get the warfighter what they need. So yes, I think it is definitely empowering to everyone in the organization to help find solutions and work together and to recognize the expertise of each person and their value in the process. Kristen, I'd also like your thoughts on this one. How has the Tech Authority policy enabled empowerment? We explicitly discuss within the Tech Authority policy revision that if you have the knowledge, skills, and abilities, and so in answer to the standard skill package documented by that technical warrant holder, then you can be empowered to execute their standard work packages on behalf of that technical domain, almost regardless of where you sit within the organization. In my opinion, the more people we can empower, the more agile we can be as a workforce, and we can say, wow, we all of a sudden have a critical issue over in this technical domain. Who have we got? And we even have a tech authority database where we'll be able to say, okay, that's our technical warrant holder. These are their deputy technical warrant holders. And here are our subject matter experts empowered within that technical domain. Who can we call? And I think it personally gives us more agility to be able to answer emergent questions and to be able to apply our workforce in the areas that are most imperative at a given period of time. And you hit on another key tenet of the mission-aligned organization, agility. So what does it mean to an organization like NAVAIR to have an increasingly agile workforce? In my opinion, having that agility of having technical experts identified across multiple technical domains because of their technical knowledge and abilities, it gives us the ability to shift our focus on a moment's notice. You know, I don't know about you, but I never know what my day is gonna look like when I wander in in the morning. And that happens in spades to our technical side of our community. And there's an emergent issue in this program office and that program office. And we have more technical challenges than we have people to address them. And so we've got to have the agility to be able to kind of pivot to the technical issue of the, I'm gonna say moment, but of the period of time, the most urgent, and be able to execute there. And having more people empowered across broader technical domains, in my opinion, gives us that agility. Our experts across the services can be used to support any number of products. Whenever there is a, a certification that requires engineering input, the other thing that Tech Authority has really opened up 
was the thought that you can be empowered for something even though you don't sit in a specific office. If you have the knowledge, skills, and ability to do that type of review, you can be empowered. You can request empowerment and be empowered based on your knowledge, skills, and ability regardless of where you sit. Now that's critical to allow empowerment at the point of execution. So as you empower these technical experts to apply critical thinking to improve the airworthiness process, how does that help to mitigate risk? The biggest difference in mitigating risk is the collaboration. So again, if you go back to, so let's say a standard isn't met and, and you're evaluating a system and it's supposed to meet, i just give a simple example of a standard that you can't have Kapton wiring in an aircraft. Well, we've got a system and it has Kapton wiring. Well, that's a risk. And, and you may have an electrical person that looks at it and says, this is, this is outside the standards, we shouldn't fly. Well, then you've got flight test engineers that say, well, this is the way we are going to mitigate the risks. And the program office coming in and saying, we will also mitigate the risk by, we're only gonna fly this for two flights. Okay, well, then you've got the electrical guy that can look at it and say, okay, well, the risk, considering we're only gonna fly two flights and considering the way we're gonna manage the flight test to manage the hazards in the, in the flight test environment, uh, maybe the risk is okay. It's the collaboration and bring the team together that helps mitigate the risks by providing more solutions and having more diversity of ideas and thoughts to come up with different risk mitigation options. I think as we developed the mission-aligned organization framework and ultimately the implementation of the revision to tech authority policy, there was an emphasis on clear defined roles and responsibilities. And so when we had those gaps between a technical capability and or a technical standard, I should say, and our air system we were assessing, we were drawn to having the conversation of implications. So we're identifying, okay, here's the gap, what's the resultant hazard, and then what risks happen as a because of that hazard, how can we mitigate them? And when you're in a test environment versus a fleet environment, we have potentially very different mitigation strategies. Within the test organizations, we can instrument, we can chase, we can do all kinds of neat, different, unique, test-centric things that would potentially allow, in the face of a systemic risk, design risk, we could potentially move forward with that developmental test because of their unique mitigation strategies while we're in parallel addressing the ultimate issue before fleet fielding, but we don't have to hold up the DT test if we're informed and we can make informed decisions and leverage those test unique capabilities. There's more explicit discussion and facilitation of those conversations within the mission aligned organization framework, as well as the implementation of tech authority policy underneath that. So let's talk success stories. Are there any examples you'd like to share? Kristen? So we had the CMV-22, and they were working towards first flight, and there was an issue that was discovered by the test team, and they worked with our subject matter experts, and they were already deployed and ready for first flight. It happened within, I'd say, two to three weeks before first flight, and there was a a concern that first flight was going to be affected by this discovery. But the stakeholders all worked across the R&D side of engineering and the T&E side of engineering and worked together to find mitigation strategies that 
would allow for first flight to continue safely, as well as pursuing engineering solutions for fixing the problem before the fielding of the aircraft. So again, they, they kind of split the problem into two and said, okay, how do we mitigate to move forward with first flight and be able to successfully accomplish that on time? And in parallel, addressed the actual technical issue to be able to fix that before the aircraft was actually fielded. That type of conversation and that level of urgency and working towards that singular goal what is facilitated within the mission-aligned organization framework. You know, to be able to pull the team together and say, okay, we're empowered to make some decisions. And in that case, we didn't even have to modify the interim flight clearance to be able to accomplish that. We were able to address the test mitigations within test hazard analyses and move the test forward. Yeah, so that's a great example of how empowerment and collaboration fostered a solution. So I'd also like to hear from you. Any success stories that you would like to share? There was one that was interesting. This was just as we were drafting the tech authority policy. It hadn't even been released yet. And we were working with a, a group of engineers on the development of the language. And I got a call from a program office. This was an Argum ER program office. And the Navy captain who was running that program office called and he said, I'm concerned because I have an Argum ER, it's a new missile, that I am being tasked to deploy. I have to build 55 of them and deploy them to the Navy in six months. So I have a schedule, I'm planning to do this. I'm working through the airworthiness process and I'm being told by one of the subject matter experts that I have to do every single missile that is developed must go through mass property testing in a facility that requires months of coordination to get in there. And I understand fully why the subject matter expert would recommend that. The issue there was you had a program office that felt they had no authority to negotiate and a subject matter expert that was providing a very sound recommendation but there had to be negotiation because here we were in a situation where we have limited budget, limited time, and a capability we need to get to the warfighter and two very different perspectives. So with MAO, the push was there has to be collaboration, there has to be a common solution. And they did, they came together, we talked about it and we said, we understand your input as a subject matter expert is a recommendation that we should do this and that there is a risk if we don't. We need to understand what if we only test one, what is the risk? What if we test 10, what is the risk? And then evaluate that from the perspective of what the warfighter needs and the program office to come up with a solution that we understand the risks that the subject matter expert defines based on the solution that we need to reach. And Sue, so with that particular example, what was the difference? How did the mission aligned organization enable success? Really, the, the biggest difference here is just the collaboration and the understanding of the roles and responsibilities and authorities of the different offices and the push towards collaboration. Where before, as I mentioned with the, with the F-18 Argam ER, the class desk honestly felt that they had no authority to ask for something different. The SME had recommended something, they had to follow that recommendation, that was the letter of the law, there was no room for negotiation. And honestly, that was, it was never intended to be the case. However, the, the, there wasn't policy for them to stand behind to say, 
yes, you have to negotiate with me. So there was confusion about the roles and responsibilities and the authorities. And with the tech authority policy, we were able to, to lay out, again, the authorities and the roles and responsibilities to have more clarity, to say, yes, you have the authority to negotiate. And what the subject matter expert says is clearly the safest recommendation, but doesn't mean it's the only option. And yes, you do have room to negotiate and discuss that with them. All right, so as we wrap up today, what would you want someone to know about the mission-aligned organization? It's not just about airworthiness. There's a broader set of technical products that the mission-aligned organization framework and ultimately the tech authority policy apply to. My takeaway from mission-aligned organization, though, is that emphasis on collaboration and the need to focus on the outcomes that we have to bring the stakeholders together with our separate and potentially disparate perspectives, but focus on that outcome such that we're all contributing to a technical solution that ultimately allows fielding of a capability to the fleet. Well, and it's important for anybody who's doing a review to feel that they are understanding the purpose of the work they're doing and to feel that they are part of the warfighter effort because the stuff that we do here at Pax River, you might feel removed from it. However, there has to be an alignment to the mission and it, it gives you a sense of accomplishment to know that you are contributing, that the engineers at all levels, whether it's the flight test engineers, the program office, the class desks, the, the subject matter experts, the engineers and, and the technical experts who are, are working on this are contributing to our military, to our services, to our defense of our country. And these reviews, you know, you may feel like I'm just doing this small little piece of a review, but it contributes to a much larger benefit to our world by doing the reviews that they're doing. Well, I want to thank both of you for being here today to talk about the mission-aligned organization and the tech authority policy and how they empower NAVAIR's technical experts to design and develop innovative solutions for the fleet. And that's it for this edition of Airways. Thanks for listening.